0: Our Bibles this morning, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 26. Matthew, chapter 26. If you didn't bring your Bible this morning, in that red Bible there in the pew in front of you, it's on page number 670. I'd like to talk to you today about Peter's growing faith. You know what you and I are trying to do in our church every week and every day and every month is to grow in our faith. You know, the Lord builds faith in our heart. He gives it to us. It's one of his gifts. And uh, oftentimes we feel like, boy, you know, I'm not doing very good as a Christian. I'm letting the Lord down. Well, I'm here today to tell you that some of the most famous of all biblical characters felt the very same way you feel. They felt like utter failures from time to time here we find uh, one of the great pillars of the faith Peter himself remember Jesus said to him upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it Uh, Peter had a lot of ups and downs in his life and here we find him at his lowest ebb Matthew 26 69 let's look there please Now Peter sat outside the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee, but he denied it before them all. Peter was not afraid to deny the Lord in front of a lot of people at this particular point in his life. He said, I do not know what you're talking about or what you're saying. When he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, "I do not know the man." the second denial." And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, "Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you." And Peter was a Galilean, and they had this particular uh, way of speaking says, listen, we know who you are. You're down here in Jerusalem. Your speech gives you away. Verse 74 says, And he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Uh, In Peter's life, he went home and wrote in his journal... This is the worst day of my life. Maybe some of you have written in your journal recently something like that. The worst day of my life. You know, when we think of Peter in the Bible, we think of him with all sorts of adjectives. Um, All sorts of words. He was bold. He was boisterous. He was brash. He was impetuous. And you could add a lot more to that list. But he did have a little bit of an advantage because he was a part of the Lord's inner circle. Remember, Jesus had three that he kind of like put his arm more closely around. Peter, James, and John. But in spite of being so close to the Lord, he was still a person of very sporadic behavior. He went up, he went down. Whenever we read about his life and back off and look at it in its totality, we say to ourselves, why did Peter say that? Why did he do that? And I guess we have to come away and say, well, that's his personality. That's his DNA. Sometimes we make that same excuse for people that we know in the church, don't we? We say, oh, that's the way they are. Uh, That's just the way they are. That's the way God made them. Well, Peter, in spite of his personality flaws, was called to follow the Lord as one of his first disciples. In Mark chapter 1, verse uh, 17, 16 through 18, we have these words. Let's read them together, okay? And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. I love this. This is the beginning of our Lord's ministry. He's putting people around him, and he goes to the fishing lands, and he finds two people working, Andrew and Peter, or Simon and Peter, uh, and Andrew. I'll get it. Two brothers. Uh, They were fishing, and and he said, I want you to follow me, and I'll make you to become fishers of men. Uh, You can still be in the fishing business, but I want you to catch a different catch, I want you to catch people. And so the Bible says they responded to his call and they began to follow him. And uh, they always remembered that their job was to follow Jesus and he'd do the rest. It's interesting, as you follow the life of Peter in the New Testament to John chapter 21, verse 22, the last words that Jesus said to Peter are these, You follow me. Uh, One of the best positions that anybody could ever be in is the position of following Jesus. You know, Peter did that pretty well, but he often stumbled. God has chosen to use the imperfect people in this world to serve him. And, you know, in my position, and I look at the whole church in its totality, I I look at it and I say, boy, I'll tell you what, Lord, you have chosen all of us, and I put myself right in the center of that very imperfect people to serve you. Uh, And I shake my head sometimes, and I say, how does God ever get anything done in his church or in his work with people such as I, people such as me, imperfect people? Well, you know, not only was Peter a very imperfect person, his life went up and down, but Paul, too, the two major characters of uh, the book of Acts, Peter in the first part, Paul in the second part, he was uh, imperfect as well, and Nobody expressed it any better than Paul, what you and I go through as a Christian. It's found in Romans 7, and we're going to take a look at this this morning. And as we read through these verses together, I want to ask you if you identify with what Paul is talking about right here. Okay? Let's begin reading in verse 15 here. I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it instead i do the very thing i hate i know perfectly well that what i am doing is wrong and my bad conscience shows that i agree that the law is good now does this depict you from time to time uh, you know what you should do but you don't do it and then uh, you know what you don't want to do and then you do that and And your conscience is beating you up and saying to you, listen, why did you do that? Let's go on to the next series of verses. Look what he says. But I can't help myself because it is sin inside of me that makes me do these evil things. I know I am rotten through and through as far as the old sinful nature is concerned. Now that's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? Here is Paul, writer of many of the new books of the New Testament. He says, you know, inside of me, I'm just rotten. That's what I am. I can't explain it in any other way. I know that I'm rotten through and through, so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. Let's read. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. He's he's ready to throw his hands up in despair right here. I know what's right, I know what I want to do, but I just can't get it done. In fact, I do the opposite thing. Let's go on to the next two verses. Let's read. When I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. But if I am doing what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. The sin within me is doing it. What Paul is saying is this. Inside of us as a believer is the sin nature. We were born with it. We will die with it. There's part of us that can heartily say amen to what Paul is saying right here. Inside of me, deep down in my inner being, there's something that is really, really rotten. And he says, I'm just trying to figure this thing out. And he says, I know that with my mind, I want to do the right thing, but I end up doing the wrong thing. That was before Paul learned, by the way, to walk in the spirit. Listen to this. Galatians 5.16 says this, Walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This passage of scripture that we just went over in the church this morning was before Paul learned to be a spirit walker. And his Christian life was dominated by his own flesh, by what he could do. And so what this means is if we relegate our Christian life to what we can do, we will always fail. Because the Christian life was never designed to be lived by what you can do. The Christian life was designed for you to rely upon the Holy Spirit to see what he could do in you. Now, Peter had a lot of confidence. Let's go back to him. He had a lot of confidence in himself, and he'd have to learn that he couldn't live the Christian life in his own confidence. Uh, For instance, here's a good illustration of Peter's confidence, Mark 14, 29. Let's read this. Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Uh, He says, Peter says, listen, though everybody else, all your other followers will fail you, Lord, not me. Now, does that sound like confidence or not? Sure. We know the Bible says in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You know, if you point your finger at somebody and say, oh, why did they do that? You know what's going to happen? You're going to do that. Oh, that'll never happen to me. You know what's going to happen? It's going to happen to you. Because you exhibit a spirit of pride. Uh, And that's what Peter did. Peter says, Lord, you can count on me. I don't think you can count on them. But you can count on me. All right, the Lord says, listen, three times you're going to deny me, and it's right around the corner. Uh, Why was Peter in this condition? Because he followed the Lord from afar. He followed at a distance. Uh, We can't afford to follow the Lord at a distance. We have to be up close and personal with the Lord in order for us to have his power. Uh, Peter had good desire, like Paul did, But he needed more than that. He needed power to live the Christian life. You know, I've always had desire to live the Christian life, but I've always failed when I didn't have the power to live the Christian life. When I tried to live it by myself, when I said, hey, listen, I think I have this thing figured out. I think I can do this. That's when I failed. Uh, Whenever Jesus was talking before his departure... He gave this promise to the church, Acts 1.8. I love this. Let's read this together, please. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You shall receive power. The word power there is the word that we get the English word dynamite from. And uh, Jesus said, listen. Uh, you need power to live the Christian life, and the power that you need for the Christian life is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Spirit in you. Vance Havner was a minister, and he said this one time, we're not going to move the world by criticizing it or being conformed to it, but by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. Uh, whenever God gets so hold of our life, that's when good things begin to happen for us and people around us. And so here's Peter in this crucial hour, and he went home at night and said, This is the worst day of my life. I denied the Lord three times. But you know what Peter did? He kept following the Lord, he didn't turn back, his faith faltered. Didn't fail, it faltered. And so he was trying as best he could, under the guilt of all of this, to do what the Lord said. And you know what the Lord said when he went away? He said, Church, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And so that's what they were doing in Acts chapter 1. They were meeting together in the upper room and they were praying in one accord. And then all of a sudden, the thing that Peter needed so badly came, the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Let's look at it. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. The church was gathered and they were praying for a period of 10 days. Boy, that's a prayer meeting, I'll tell you what. We asked people in our church, hey, just come for one hour on Wednesday night. They were praying for 10 days. They were gathered together praying, Lord, show us the way. It looks so dark out here. Give us the way. And the Lord says, listen, you just wait there in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit is coming your way. And so in their upper room, verse 2 says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. The sound of wind filled the house. Not the wind, just the sound of it. They weren't. The house wasn't having its shutters blown off, but they were hearing all of this horrific sound of wind, and it was a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is invisible. You can't see him, but you can see his effects in people's lives. This sound filled the house, and there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. I've tried to visualize this many times. This ball of fire coming down into this room and dividing over top of all the people that were in the room. Little pieces of fire, if you will, shaped like a tongue. Can you visualize that? Over top of each person's head. And I think people were absolutely in shock. What does this mean? This fire in this room in the shape of a tongue. Well, we think we know what that meant. James in the Bible says, listen, the tongue is an evil thing. All of you and I have demonstrated that, haven't we? The tongue is an evil thing. Uh, James says the tongue can be set on fire by hell. That's the most evil. But the Lord is saying here, listen, I'm going to set your tongue on fire from heaven. I'm going to speak through you, all of you. And look at verse 4, nobody was left out. Verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were all filled with the Spirit. Uh, Peter was filled with the Spirit. Look over to chapter 1, verse 5. I want to show you something here. Jesus here says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Whenever we get over to Acts 2, we don't find that statement made, the baptism of the Spirit, but we find it in Acts 1 5. I submit to you today, two things happened at Pentecost. Those two things were, first of all, the baptism of the Spirit, secondly, the filling of the Spirit. What is the baptism of the Spirit? The definition is found in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. Paul said this, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether we are Jews or Gentiles, whether we are bond or free, we have all been made to partake of one Spirit. By one Spirit we have been baptized into one body. The word baptism in the Bible can be used in two ways. First of all, it can be used literally. That means submerged. When people are baptized in our church, they are immersed, submerged. Uh, here we think that the uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we think it's talking about a figurative understanding of it, which means identified with, incorporated into. For by one spirit, we are all incorporated into the body of Christ. That means when we are saved... The Holy Spirit comes to us, and He takes us and places us in the body of Christ. We are the Lord's members, and members in particular. We are His hands, we are His feet, we are His arms, we are His eyes, we are His ears, and He is the head, and He is our mind. And that's a good thing, because the Bible says in Philippians 2, 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. we got to get our orders from the Lord, Right? Now, many of us have taken orders from other people who said they were getting orders from God, and that's sometimes not a good thing. But when we get our orders from the Lord, it's always good. And so, what does this mean? This means that whenever we're saved, we are baptized into the body of Christ. That's a one time experience, it doesn't happen again. But being filled by the Spirit is something that is continual, it's ongoing. That's why some days when we have our devotions and we have our commitment to the Lord and we surrender to Him, we are filled with power to serve the Lord. And then some days when we neglect our communion with God and we can think that we can run on yesterday's power, we're completely unable to go because we're running on empty, we're not controlled by the Spirit. Uh, Somebody said one time that the baptism of the Spirit means that I belong to Christ's body. The filling means that my body belongs to Him. And that's always a struggle because isn't it so that we always want to take back, we always want want to be the master of our own destiny? Sure. And so we have to continually be surrendered to the Lord to be controlled by His Spirit and Peter here is controlled by the Spirit on this day as well as everyone in the church. And uh, the message uh, would go to all nations because all these people are gathered together here in Acts chapter 2. And he steps up to explain what's going on. They were speaking in languages that uh, these people had learned as children. Look at chapter, verse 6. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. The people, the languages of their country. This was was crazy. They'd never had anything like this. Uh, These people came from faraway places and they heard these Galileans talking in their language. And they said, man, what does this mean? Well, somebody came up with a bright idea and they said, well, these people are just drunk. That's that's what's wrong with them. Verse 13. They're full of new wine. Peter got up and he said, listen, these people are not drunk. It's only the third hour of the day. It's too early for that. Uh, He says, this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel. Listen to this. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, etc. This was prophesied in the book of Joel. Uh, Peter's fear is gone. Remember, he's been hiding in this room, afraid to go out. But now he stands up and he makes this proclamation. His fear is gone. He he says that these people are intoxicated by the Holy Spirit. Now, all of us have seen people that have been intoxicated with alcohol. They're not their normal self. They're controlled by another influence. Peter said these people that you're looking at are intoxicated by the Spirit. Listen, you can never go wrong if you are intoxicated by the Spirit. If you are under the control of the Spirit... You might say, boy, that person is a little crazy, so freaked out on Jesus. Well, that's not a bad thing. It really isn't. Uh, Jesus, and then so Peter says, listen, these people are intoxicated by the Spirit. And then he begins to tell them that Jesus is alive, and this blew their mind because they thought they killed him. And in verse 24 and in verse 30 and 31 and 32, he talks about the resurrection. Uh, The official government announcement was that the disciples came and stole the body of Jesus away. He said, that's not true. Jesus was resurrected and he's alive. And now in verse 33, he says he's pouring out his spirit. And so these people were convinced, and I don't understand how this happens. When you explain to people the gospel, this is a miracle. I can't understand when you explain somebody to somebody the gospel and it, God opens their heart and you look at them and you're saying, listen, everything, why are they believing? It's a miracle. When people understand that Christ died for their sins, he was buried and he rose again, it touches their heart. And it touched their heart and it was effective. Because the Bible says in Psalm 126 verse 5, he that goes forth Weeping, bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And so they were cut to to the heart in verse 37. What does that mean? That means they were convicted by the Holy Spirit. They realized that what they did to Jesus was wrong and it started to break their heart. They realized that they had had a hand in the crucifixion of Christ. You know, when I was a little kid, I told somebody this in our Saturday service, when I was a little kid, and I don't know where this ever came from. I remember one time as a little kid in grade school, going to school, we were having this little discussion about who killed Jesus. Did the Romans kill Jesus? Did the Jews kill Jesus? No, I think the Romans. No, I think the Jews. Uh, Everybody had a part in the death of Christ. Every single person on planet Earth had a part because it was for his sins For your sins and my sins, he died. And I came to that place in my life one time that I realized, listen, I better quit blaming the Romans and I better quit blaming the Jews. And I better blame myself. Because it was just as much for my sins as their sins he died. I was in part responsible for the death of Christ. They said, listen, what are we going to do about this? How are we going to make this right? In verse 38, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The word repent originally meant afterthought or second thought. Peter says, listen, you've got to think this through again. You know, your initial reaction wasn't right to Christ. So many times my initial reaction is not right somebody asked me, what should I do? And I'll say, oh, go do this. And then after a while I'll begin to think, why did I tell them to do that? That's not right. So I'll call them on the phone I'll say, listen, everything I told you to do, don't do it. I had to think this over some more. And they said, listen, it's too late. I did it. Afterthought. Uh, repentance means a change of mind that leads to a change of action. Uh, Repent of your sins. You know, I believe that every single person needs to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I realize I put you on this cross. I'm sorry. Forgive me. It was for my sins you died. They said, what's the next step? What should we do? Verse 38, he said, repent and be baptized. Baptism is a public statement of our faith. Uh... It tells the world, listen, I'm I'm signing on, I'm a believer. Accept God's forgiveness and receive the Holy Spirit. And that's what they did on that day. Uh, The scripture says here in verse 42, let's look at it, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Uh, They uh, repented, they turned from their sins, they asked Christ to forgive them of their sins, and then they continued. They were being taught. And teaching is so important in the Christian life. I, I remember when I first started to really grow in the Lord, I was 18 years of age. I couldn't get enough of God. I was addicted. I had those little Bibles I used to give you in the service. I was in the Air Force. And I'd, at lunchtime, I'd get that little Bible. Man, I'd, I couldn't wait for lunchtime because I'd, I'd read the Bible. Sometimes when I worked, I read the Bible, too. Planes weren't very safe back during that days, those days. Sometimes when I was supposed to be under the aircraft, I had my little Bible open. I was supposed to be working on the airplane. And I'd uh, listen to the, sometimes a gospel program on the radio. Back in those days, there was a radio program entitled The Christian Jew Hour with Charles Half. And boy, could that guy teach the Bible? Wow. And I'd turn that on and I'd say, oh, this is so good. I'd go to church and the pastor would preach from the Bible. I said, Oh, this is so good. I couldn't get enough of it. And uh, it helped me to grow. And uh, they continued steadfastly in teaching and fellowship. And that means they shared each other's joys and troubles. And in communion and prayer, they prayed together. And uh, the Lord added to the church on that day 3,000 people. I'm sure that the church secretary really got tired. Peter said, now listen, if you want to join the church, come forward. And here comes 3,000 of them. A church secretary is saying, help, 2,956, my hand won't write anymore. Stop. It was a big day for the church. Well, the thing that made it so powerful was the fact that they were all controlled by the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you in your life, when you wake up in the morning, say, Lord, today can't be about me. It has to be about you. I'll tell you, that would be a good way to start the day. I know in many days in my life I woke up and said, Lord, it's all about me. I'm the center of the universe, as you know. What a disaster. Lord, today has to be about you, and I surrender my life into your hands today to be controlled by you. Peter learned that, and his life got better. He didn't have, I don't think, any more days that he went back and said, this is the worst day of my life. He'd already had that one. Uh, He did fail. He made mistakes after that, but he had a new power for living, and the power for living was the power of the Holy Spirit within him. Not just the fact that he had the Holy Spirit, but that he surrendered to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I know people that have said, listen, I know when I was saved, it was in July of 1952 or 65 and... And there's no growth. It's like, Uh, boy, I'll tell you what, to grow is a lot of fun. It really is. Uh, To wake up tomorrow and say, Lord, here we go. This is an adventure, you and me together. A power for living. Uh, Just always remember this. Don't be discouraged. God chooses imperfect people, and everybody I'm looking at today falls in that category. Can I have an amen? And everything you're looking at up here falls in that category too. We're all imperfect people. And God says, Listen, that's okay. I'll work with you. Just look at Peter. I worked with him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'd like to ask you to consider your life today. Are you filled with the Spirit? Or are you filled with you? Who is it that sits on the throne of your heart? Do you wake up in the morning and say, it's all about me? Oh, listen, please don't misunderstand. I've done that so many times. I could never calculate how many times I've done that. But I can say that when I did that, uh, I probably had a wasted day. God didn't save us for us to live for ourselves. He saved us for him, for his work. I want to encourage you to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That means that that means that means you surrender to him, that you're not controlled by him. Uh, you're controlled by him and not by you. I wonder how many people in the church would say, Pastor, today... Uh, I, I, and I needed what you said, and I'm going to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. I've been trying to live the Christian life on my own, and I've been failing. I'd like to pray for you now. Would you raise your hand wherever you're seated in the church? You need his spirit. Yes, God bless you. You need to be controlled by him. Yes, God bless you. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day which you've given to us. I pray now that you will move among us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we sing this morning, if you'd like to come and pray, please do. Let's stand together as we sing.